Welcome to another edition of the Hypocritical Podcast by Powbox. I'm Olena Hugh, your host, and joining me, Chief Operations Officer Rick Kuahara. Hey, Olena, great to be back again. Thank you so much. And of course, you're a wealth of knowledge and information. And on every episode, we talk about what's happening in the news, who's winning and failing each week, and also feature a very insightful interview. So let's dive right in and talk about what's happening in the news right now. And uh, ransomware continues to um, stick its head right into uh, everything that's happening and and having a major impact. Yeah. So... You're right. It's been in the news lately, uh, all the time. And re- recently, um, there's been some research from Coveware, um, which is, uh, helps uh, people who are affected by ransomware. They did some research, and it looks like there's been a big jump in the average demand paid by organizations to these hackers um, when they are compromised with ransomware. So it went up. to nearly $112,000 compared to last year at the same time. And from their research on their side, uh, they know that um, healthcare is definitely impacted by it. um, With one of the biggest things being at risk is, you know, if there's any electronic health records that are down uh, after a ransomware attack, because, you know, that puts patients at risk. If the, you know, if the provider can't access the health record when they're trying to treat them. My sentiments exactly, you know, obviously that's going to impact care. Right. And, you know, it looks like the hackers are definitely tailoring their attacks based on who the target is. So, you know, they're not going to ask the same amount for every uh, organization. So they can see that large ones might see, for example, a million dollar ransom demand, while smaller service providers might just get hit with five to ten thousand dollars. So the key insight on that is these hackers uh, aren't just spraying and praying; they kind of are targeting, you know, who they want to go after, um, which can mean more tailored attacks, uh, which means that people got to be really aware, um, especially if phishing is the the method that people are trying to get in for the threat vector. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to take advantage of, you know, what's happening right now in the world. Right. Especially since people are moving more remote. Um, they did see that, you know, outside of just email, another common attack vector is remote desktop protocol. So as people move online um, and remotely to access the servers remotely, they do what's called a remote desktop. So you basically virtualize your desktop, your work desktop on your home computer. Um, But that is seeing a dramatic rise in attacks as, you know, people trying to break in because that can be definitely a, a weakness, especially if organizations don't already have um, something in place and they're trying to spin it up new, then that, you know, anything new is definitely uh, a vulnerability for any, um, any organization. It makes me think about one of my friends who works for a bank and he was saying that he was able to do that from home utilizing his cell phone. And, you know, it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, I just think of all the threat out there. 
Yeah. Uh, something that, you know, people have to be aware of, you know, not just healthcare, but of course, any, any organization, you know, regardless, you know, as, as we talked about previously, you know, you can, you definitely need to make sure things are in place as you let your employees work remotely. Mm-hmm. And apparently they can sell information on the dark web that they're obtaining. Is that right? Yeah. So researchers have found that, you know, there are a lot of exposed uh, credentials that are for sale on the dark web for cheap. And people are using that as a way to kind of find a way in as they're trying to break into these remote desktop protocols. Good warning. Um, And is there anything that you would recommend that they do to prevent Um, this? I mean, a lot of it is just making sure that um, people are using unique passwords to get set up and that it is being changed from setup time to when they are actually rolling it out. You know, multi-factor authentication is always good so that even if a credential is compromised, um, you know, there's a second way uh, that someone has to log in to get access and just making sure that when people are setting up these, um, you know, remote work environments that they're doing it as secure as possible uh, in, in, letting their employees know what to do at home to make sure their network is secure there. And then as well on their side, you know, using all that multi-factor authentication, you know, secure connections uh, to make sure that it says, you know, uh, protected as possible. Good to know. And also making news headlines, we're going to transition back over to some COVID-19 topics. Uh, The Office of Civil Rights has actually done something to help prevent HIPAA violations. Yeah, the OCR put together some good resources for organizations to take a look at as they try to, you know, protect themselves from the rise in attacks and um, coming at them from the hackers, whether it is the, you know, remote worker workforce that we just talked about, or if it's, you know, the good old fashioned phishing attacks that's happening, they want organizations to have the resources in place uh, to protect themselves, especially for the smaller organizations who may not have the budget to allocate to, you know, a cybersecurity expert. Now the OCR put together some great resources that um, a lot of people can use, especially the smaller organizations, making it easy to find. And it's on their website. You know, people can go to hhs.gov slash OCR and they have it front and center to have all these resources around um, coronavirus and also um, what they can do to protect themselves as hackers are targeting um, healthcare organizations more and more. So some of the resources that they recommend that people and guidance that they recommend people go through is one, to go back and look at the guidance they put out when the WannaCry ransomware attacks were happening back in 2017. And it, provide some insights on instructions on what to do when they're responding to a successful ransomware attack, as well as, you know, things you can do to protect yourself from um, getting compromised in the first place. And a lot of um, healthcare organizations right now, like we just talked about, um, are under attack from ransomware is that is starting to become more and more prevalent. And some other things that they have resources on is the FBI phishing insights that came out um, uh, f- a month ago about there. 
uh, and we talked about it on the podcast a few episodes ago as well, where the FBI released information warning um, the healthcare providers about cyber criminals targeting them in particular. And it really helps with reinforcing to your staff and employees um, education on what to be aware of and making sure that you're taking the right steps to make sure that all your software is patched up, you have the necessary security updates on your systems, uh, that sort of thing. And they also um, put forth a resource uh, that was put out by the National Security Agency about teleworking and securing that, which we just talked about was a big deal right now, um, especially with video conferencing as well. You know, Zoom has done, uh, has gotten a lot of press, um, both good and bad about what they've been doing, but um, they're putting out some security updates and we talked about that as well previously, but making sure that as you're doing more telehealth and those type of things that it, your platform is secure. All right. Well, that's the very latest in news headlines so far for this week. Now we're going to transition over to who's winning and who's failing. And so let's start with the good news first. Yeah, we always like to highlight our customers when we can. And there's a great story that um, we found coming from Urgy Kids, which is a pediatric urgent care provider based out of Illinois. Um, they treat kids from cuts and broken bones to fevers and stomach aches that pop up after, you know, the primary care physician's office is closed. So a really needed thing, especially for parents. And, um, you know, these days with the coronavirus, you know, a lot of parents don't know what to do when, you know, something were to happen, you know, especially as they're told to stay at home and, you know, when should I go to the doctor how do I know what symptoms I'm seeing in my child? Is, is it serious enough that I should go in? You know, what should I do? So they have a lot of questions. And, you know, Urgy Kids, like most businesses, you know, they, they've kind of, um, I don't want to say shut down, but, you know, they've seen, they've tried to do best practices with social distancing and keeping, you know, patients away unless they really have to come in for a visit. And they needed a way to communicate to their um, patients and the families, you know, the parents of the, the children who come in. So in the past, you know, they could always send out information, just general information with social media using like Facebook and Instagram. Um, but it wasn't a way that they could reach out to patients directly, um, especially, you know, with, you know, coronavirus going on, you know, how can they get information out right away to the people who need it? So they did a lot of research and they found uh, Powbox Marketing, which is our email marketing tool that can send um, secure emails uh, in a HIPAA compliant way. And they found that, you know, this tool would be the best for them to kind of get information out about um, critical information that families need to know about services they can offer, you know, best practices, things like that, um, including new services that they have like uh, COVID-19 testing, which you can imagine is something that, of course, you want to let people know you have available so that they can, you know, get tested if needed. So they sent their first email out with Pawbox Marketing and they instantly saw a big boost in the number of calls received and the number of uh, appointments that they got made for telemedicine. So really, 
a great way that they could, you know, inform their um, patient families and, you know, just help the community to make sure that they're, everybody's staying safe and that if they need services that, you know, they can be helped out by, by Urgy Kids. That's wonderful. And you probably don't even know how many families you've helped by, you know, offering this service as well. So that's a really, really great tool that they've been able to harness through Powbox Marketing. Right. All right. Well, now we're going to transition over to those that are failing. And of course, when someone is winning, we also have to highlight who's failing. And uh, it's, it's related to something that we just touched on a little bit ago with our news headlines. Right. So unfortunately, um, BJC Healthcare uh, began notifying uh, patients that their data was potentially compromised due to a phishing attack. So found out that um, in March, three of their employees fell victim to a phishing attack. You know, good thing is that they detected it right away, but you know, the impacted email accounts uh, did have, uh, give the hacker access to um, patient information, emails, attachments, things like that. And, you know, they're still investigating, um, but they're not able to really tell what exactly has been compromised. So when that happens, you got to just assume everything was just for, just to be on the safe side. So this information could be things like patient data, like medical records, account numbers, uh, treatments, medications, social security numbers, health insurance information. So really a treasure trove, uh, treasure trove of data that um, hackers can take advantage of. So, um, and it, it doesn't seem like it's the first time for BJC either. Uh, which, you know, sometimes can be the case for a lot of these larger organizations. Uh, I think BJC has uh, something like, you know, 19 affiliated hospitals. Um, so they found that this is about the third data breach that BJC had to report in the last two years alone. So March 2018, they had an issue with their server configuration that exposed health information. Um, 2017, they had um, through, I'm sorry, 2017 through 2018 was when that was discovered. And um, also later in 2018 that they found their patient portal was hacked as well, which, you know, exposed data for even more patients. Unfortunate. It sounds as if they need more secure, more security and better training for their employees. But you know, because they're so big, maybe they're just having a hard time uh, keeping up. They definitely are probably just being targeted a lot because they are bigger. Um, the, the breaches themselves are all different threat vectors that came in. So it's not, I, I wouldn't, it's not like they are failing the same way every time, but definitely they is something that they have to keep their eye on as, you know, they are getting targeted a lot. Definitely. All right. Well, now we're going to also highlight one of your encrypted interviews, Rick. <laughs> now you had a chance to chat with Tara Durbin, owner of Quality Care, a social work agency based in Kentucky. Its mission is to provide high quality care by promoting respect, personal growth, and empowerment. In this interview, they talk about how quality care serves their community and the impact of the coronavirus on how the nonprofit delivers their much needed services. Take a listen. 
So tell us a little bit about uh, Quality Care and your mission. Quality Care, we serve individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities through the Supports for Community Living waiver and the Home and Community-Based Waivers in Kentucky. Um, our mission is to provide the highest level of care um, with the highest level of quality. We feel like that you they go hand in hand, and mm. it is my mission, my personal mission, that all of our individuals, that we will treat them as if we would want someone to treat our own family. So we deliver services to each of our individuals as if they were a member of our family. We provide different types of services, but all of our services are community-based and range from physical therapy, occupational therapy, to case management and behavior uh, modification, cognitive mm -hmm. behavior support. So we have kind of a, a strong array of services. That's awesome. And, you know, in the news lately, of course, everything's around, you know, the coronavirus, this pandemic that we're all going through. So how has delivering services changed with that pandemic? You know, how, how have you adjusted? Um, it, it's actually completely changed for us. I mean, we, all of our services have always been hands-on, face-to-face, direct, you know, social services. Um, we're not able to do that anymore. They're limiting that completely for us unless it's a health, safety, or welfare need. So we have completely switched to doing telehealth services, um, which, you know, has been a challenge for us because our individuals are used to seeing us face to face. They're used to being able to look at us and read our body language and we're able to read their body language and um, be able to, to put skills and, you know, interventions in place based on, you know, reading those, those body language cues. We're not able to do that anymore. So we are currently doing everything from from home, from our computers, with Zoom and um, email and internet functions. So we have went from a hands-on service model to a complete telehealth model <laughs> overnight, pretty much. Wow. So how's that been kind of rolling that out? Because you're right, it's not just your your team that has to deal with it. You know, it's, you know, these individuals and families that you're working with. Um, it, it's been really, it has been, it depends on the, the person. Um, some individuals, some patients have been, it's kind of been seamless for them and they're used to using computers and technology. So they've adjusted well. However, some, even some staff and some patients have never used, you know, a video chat or mm -hmm. hardly ever check their email or, you know, have no idea this is all very foreign to them. So it's a complete paradigm shift in their, you know, the way that they function because they're having to learn all new technology and all new resources um, that, that they're not used to. We, we live in a very rural area. Some people don't have internet. They don't have, you know, those, those resources. So it's been important for our staff and for me to um, give support to my staff and, and our patients to be able to navigate through this complete unknown for them. Right. And, you know, when we've talked to other people in other, 
you know, industries or areas in healthcare, they, you know, as they've been forced to this telehealth move, they kind of see it as maybe being beneficial for them down the road. But like you mentioned, you know, you're so hands-on in your services. Do you see these, how do you, I guess, how do you see telehealth going and helping you, you know, beyond um, the pandemic, like knock on wood, if everything gets back to normal later this year, um, do you see that, you know, this adjustment period that you've had to go through to implement telehealth and more virtual services could potentially benefit yourself and, you know, your industry? I think that it definitely could benefit um, several of our individuals in the fact that, you know, we support a lot of kids um, with behavior support services and um, sometimes they respond better. We're, we're finding that sometimes a child responds with a longer attention span and more tolerance to something on their iPad you know, a, a virtual interaction than they do if you're sitting in front of them. Um, so we, we are finding that the technology component is a benefit when we're, when we're working with younger individuals because they respond more to that than they do the face-to-face -face interaction. Um, mm -hmm. I do think that that will be something that will be positive that we can continue moving forward. I also think that it, it allows us to reach people that we may not otherwise be able to reach. You know, if we have snow or, you know, hazardous weather conditions or that kind of thing, we can still provide services through telehealth. Whereas previously we might've just canceled the session for that day. Um, so definitely I think that it's something that, you know, we will be able to utilize in the future more than we have in the past. And it, it also frees up, a lot of our time because you know we're driving in between sessions whereas with telehealth you know we can hop off one zoom call and on to the next so it, it allows us to have more time to actually spend directly providing services without that that time in between um, for transportation and such so I do think that it will be something that we'll be able to use moving forward. It, it's just been an adjustment period for people to get used to it. That's great. And how do you, know, speaking of kind of technology and where things are going, um, you know, overall, how do you kind of see your industry evolving in the next 10 to 15 years? I think that a lot of the technology that we have put in place uh, to be able to continue services will continue to sort of stick around after the coronavirus and the pandemic is over. I do think that there will be more um, telehealth services and more, you know, Zoom calls and, you know, things like that to communicate. I do think that that will continue. And I think it is beneficial um, because it gives people immediate access to us, even if it's, you know, by way of Skype or Zoom or, you know, however, they're still able to access us immediately and they don't have to wait, you know, for us to fit it in our schedule to come, you know, sit down with them face to face. Um, I, I think those aspects will continue and I think that's positive um, that we'll be able to continue to increase our, our services and provide even higher quality services because we'll have additional avenues to provide those services that we didn't before or we just didn't utilize before. 
And for more, you can log on to our website, powbox.com, P-A-U-B-O-X.com. Rick, what was it like chatting with Tara this week? Uh, it was great. I mean, she's so friendly, very passionate about what she does. And it's always great to talk to um, customers like Tara. And later on, we'll have a full transcripted interview out uh, on our website. So stay tuned for that. You know, it was really inspiring to talk with her about her experience as a female business owner and getting quality care off the ground to where it is right now, where it really is, you know, delivering such great services to the community. Excellent. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Hypocritical. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and also follow us on social media. And Rick, until next time, we'll see you then.